Hello and welcome to this, the 17th episode in this second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And this week, we are not coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin cultural quarter of Temple Bar because we're all snowed in, aren't we? So it's all very exciting and all very interesting. Uh, But of course, as ever, this second series is brought to you thanks to the generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland. Now, each week we bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we will never, ever charge for these interviews, but we are looking for you to go and put your money into Irish theatre. That's the whole ethos behind this podcast, to support promote and celebrate all that's great about Irish theatre. And of course, what is the best way you can go and support, particularly at the moment when people have had to cancel shows due to snow, it is to go and buy yourself tickets to a theatre show, wherever that may be, up and down the country or around the world. Go put your hand in your pocket if you can and support Irish theatre. An awful lot of the companies have taken a kick in over the last week with having to cancel shows. Um, People will be feeling it. Uh, And it's not just the smaller independent companies, though though for those ones it is particularly precarious. Even the bigger ones, you get a big machine like the Abbey or the Gate, there's a whole heap of people on payroll and without that revenue coming in they are going to feel it. So if you can in the next week or two, please go and support Irish theatre. We need you to get out there. The easiest way as ever is to go and buy tickets. But if tickets are slightly out of your reach this week or this month. Maybe check out one of the crowdsourcing websites, the Indiegogos of the world or indeed over on fundit.ie at the moment there is a project called Lyrics from Squad Productions that is very close to its total and it's one that I will be supporting. It's a new piece from Tom Moran that'll be starring the brilliant Danielle Galligan who I'm a massive fan of. If you have a few bob to spare go on over to fundit.ie and check them out. See if you can put your hand in your pocket and help them with getting on the road to produce And of course, there's a whole heap of ways you can support without even putting your hand in your pocket. Go and tell people about this podcast. The more people you tell about this podcast, the more we can get the word out about these great theatre artists and theatre shows that are happening and help keep the show on the road. You can, of course, share the link on Facebook, retweet it on Twitter, or tell people in person over a cup of coffee or a pint or whatever. Um, Do please go and subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes. Now, for those of you who don't go with the whole Apple thing, they are, of course, streamable and available for direct download over at riseproductions.ie. Do go back and listen to all the other episodes. We're getting up for about 70 episodes of these uh, these interviews now between Series 1 and Series 2, so there's plenty there to choose from. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes if you would, or simply click to rate us on their five-star rating system. It is a one-click deal, one second out of your day. It's not a huge amount to ask. As ever, you can follow us on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash Ireland. Or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Rise Ireland. And so, in spite of the snow, it has been another interesting week here at Rise Towers. It's been a little bit tricky trying to get the last few bits of pre-production stuff done before we set off into the world of making the good father to bring it back on tour again with all this snow hampering things. But for all the snow around, we do have a hot new announcement. Have I really gone with that pun? I have. Oh, that's bad. That hurts. Anyway, the announcement is that we have locked in casting for this upcoming tour of the good father. And I am delighted to announce that taking on the roles of Jane and Tim for 
this incarnation of the show will be the very brilliant Marie Ruan and Daniel Monaghan, two actors that I uh, am a massive, massive fan of and have had the opportunity to work with both in the past uh, as an actor. But So this will be my first time working with them as a director and I'm really, really looking forward to it. Marie is an exceptional actress, uh, someone of a huge amount of time for hilariously funny, but a beautiful, moving, touching performance as well from Marie so often in what I've seen her do. Uh, really, really delighted to see her tackle with Jane. And then the brilliant Dan Monaghan, who's only a couple of years out of the Lear and already making serious waves both here and over in London. A guy who I've got a massive amount of respect for. As I said, I've worked on a little bit myself and I'm really, really looking forward to getting into the rehearsal room with them. I think the two will work brilliantly as a pair. I think they're both bang on right for the part. It's nice to get back and tackle it afresh and bring a whole new perspective to the show for this uh, this tour. And, you know, we've now locked in, I think it's something like 14 different venues up and down the length and breadth of the country, some of which we'll be returning to from the original tour last year, uh, but the vast majority of which are entirely brand new venues. So great to be bringing Christian's great play out around the country, bringing it to audiences up and down the length and breadth of the country, and we do hope you can join us while we're on the road. And so that brings us to our guest this week. And this is a special one, guys, because it is the brilliant Nick Dunning. And Nick is a phenomenal guy. There's no other way around it. He is a man who has achieved so much in his career, both here and in the UK and both on stage and on screen. You know, he's a guy who's won the IFTAs. He's won the Irish Times Awards. He has done it at, you know, the biggest, biggest theatres in Ireland and in the UK. He is a man who is just a wealth of knowledge, an excellent storyteller and a really great guy. So look... As ever, let's get straight into it. Here he is, the brilliant Nick Dunning. The wonderful Nick Dunning at last on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. We finally made it. (laughs) (laughs) I am delighted with myself. So as we do each week, let's go back to the very beginning because your story does not start in Ireland. No, no, not at all. Well, how far back do you want to go? (laughs) (laughs) Let's take it to the very beginning. I believe it's a very good place to start. Well, it is a very good place. That sounds like a song. But I, I started off, I mean, it's one of those things where I had no idea what I was going to do or be until I looked back and realised that that's what I had been doing for quite a long time. Right. So for me, it was, I don't think it was really till I was about 17, 16, 17, when I started to think, yeah, okay, this is actually what I want to do. Mainly because there was nothing else I could do. And I was, you know, falling, like it seems to happen to a lot of actors is, you know, I was not uh, academically gifted. Um, Does that mean I was thick? Probably, that kind of thing. Uh, and then when I look back, when I was five, I was doing kind of kids' shows. I did a, my, my dad was a, a lecturer okay. in, uh, in the university, and uh, we, went, we lived in France for a year. And when I was five, he was then teaching French through English in, in, um, in, 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 in no, he was teaching English through French in, in, um, uh, in France. And uh, so I lived there when, from the age of five till six. And I, my first performance was as the Prince of the Fairies. Excellent. Thank you very much. It's still I mean, since then, it's been one fairy after another. Uh, and uh, no, it's been very, very interesting. Then I kind of went into school plays. That was the next big thing, which is very common for a lot of people. Um, and I played the blind ant in uh, the the uh, the insect play by the brothers Capek. Obviously, uh, uh, you may not be familiar with that play, um, but it was a, it's a, it's an amazing kind of piece. Uh, and then I kind of started to 
then really it was it was more we started to develop when I moved up to Leicester I moved from London to Leicester where my dad who got a job moved up to Leicester to the university up there now, for those of us whose yeah. geography of the UK may not be great yeah. London we all know London, and Leicester, how far north that's up is about a hundred miles north of London okay. and was literally you jump on a train and it's an hour, an hour and a quarter okay. on the train so it's very very close in fact a lot of people commute there from there now um, but then in those days I went to a school there called Counterstall College which was a kind of fairly radical school when I look back now. Okay. Um, it was uh, it was based on sort of very kind of easygoing principles, and this is in the seventies, of course, and uh, and was much more was kind of um, radical and had sort of drama sessions, and you know we, we I was in a band there. We kind of did loads of stuff like that, which was all very creative and artistic. And not so much for me, the academic side. So one of the teachers said, why don't you audition for drama school? We created a play called uh, George, George, what was his name? George, anyway, George, somebody, the Wigston Highwaymen. Okay. And uh, which was a local legend with a professional playwright called David Campton. And he came in, worked with all the, the, the school. Uh, and we put this show on. We did a production of Frankenstein, which was again written by David Campton, who was a local Leicester player. He's actually done, had, had quite a few plays done. And um, I've got actually photographs of that, which are fairly hilarious. And uh, we've got that that's kind of that's where I started to get the buzz for it and a teacher there were two teachers there who spoke to me on a kind of like a personal level um one of them was a guy called Martin Riley who took us on a we did a reenactment of the Canterbury Tales and we went all the way down to Canterbury which is you know 100 miles south of London to and we reenacted the Geoffrey Chaucer Tales, yeah and we literally dressed up as the monks and we went off on this whole big thing and had such a blast. And it was then that I really, I think that was the first journey when I really started to feel this is something I just love doing. And when I came back, we did another couple of shows. And one of the teachers, another guy called Keith Milner, said, why don't you uh, audition for RADA and for drama schools? And I said, what's a drama school? <laughs> I absolutely had never heard of it. I didn't know what they were. Um, and I told my dad, this is what he said. And my dad said, okay, well, the only one I know is Rada. It's the only one he'd ever heard of. Because sure. he was in, you know, uh, French and education and German. He used to teach. So we auditioned. I auditioned for that. I learned my Shakespeare piece and my modern piece. My Shakespeare piece I learned was, um, I didn't, had never done any Shakespeare okay. at all. Right. Um, so I did Richard II. Uh, for God's sake, let us sit on the ground and tell sad stories of the death of kings. And the only way I could follow that was I, I got what was um, um, then uh, an LP recording of Richard Pascoe, who was a fantastic actor at the RSC. And I listened to him and I copied him. <laughs> I copied him religiously. And of course, it was pretty dreadful. Uh, as as my you know I've, actually as it turns out I got into Rada but I think it was mainly because of the other piece. In fact, that's what the, the principal told me. The other piece I did, oddly enough, was Lucky's speech from Waiting for Godot. That's brave to say the least. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, my dad had seen the Godot uh, in France years back. You know the original yeah. production in the nineteen fifty six or I don't know whatever it was. Yeah. Some whenever sometime back. 
Um, and uh, he said, this would, this would be good for you. And I thought, okay. I had no idea. But then as I've asked him, since he had no idea, he didn't know what he was doing. So we tried this, but so there was something in it that, was, that I just resonated with and, uh, and always have done, really, with Beckett and kind of found this sort of peculiar sense of, I don't know, just the, the, the isolation, the power of it all, the, the strength of the language. And it kind of sat with me. And I remember doing it, and I remember starting with my head back, and then I turned back towards them dramatically. And the, whatever, I can't remember, was it, given the existence is uttered forth and the public works are punctured. And I can, if I can get it back, yeah. you know, if I, if I go back to it. And I got in at the end of my training there, I was rather there for two and a half years. The principal came up to me and said, Yes, because he used to speak like that. He said, Yes, they're yeah, marvelous. A very, very, very terrific progress we've made here, Nick. It's absolutely marvelous. Um, and uh, I loved the lucky. It was absolutely fantastic. That was why we got you in, because of the Richard II, let's face it, absolutely dire. <laughs> <laughs> and that, word for word, that's what he said to me. Wow. That's so special. Well, it kind of good, because I thought, oh, yes, you do one thing kind of okay, and the other one doesn't have to be so great, and you can yeah. still do all right. I kind yeah. of, that's quite useful. I'm a big fan of terrible audition stories generally, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but also specifically yeah. terrible old drama school auditions. Yeah. My, my yeah. own one for yeah. somebody was horrendous. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely yeah. Absolutely appalling. Horrendous, yeah. And yet you find a way that you, they, you, they see some kind you, of spark. They see something. And actually, when you know, years later, when I've, I've been sat in on audition panels, you do. It's yeah. what you see. You go, yeah, okay, he, he or she didn't make any sense of that at all, but I couldn't stop watching them. Or she came on and was just... In fact, I, I was at the, the, the Royal National Theatre for a while in London, in, in London and um, we toured around with them teaching Shakespeare to uh, colleges in America. I went off a three- or four-month tour. And i never forget there's this young girl who came in and did um, Juliet's speech from, you know, Galloper Pacey, Five Footed Steeds. And she was from Texas. Okay. And she did it like that. <laughs> Is it Gal- but it was, I swear to God, it was one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. Really? It was absolutely stunning because she connected with the piece, with the play. And you just thought, this is a young girl. Just, you know, wish this guy would, I think, well, I wish it would happen now, mm. you know. And you kind of think, that's what it was. And yet, you know, it's a Texas accent. That can't make sense. <laughs> but it did because yeah. it was had nothing to do with it. You know, and uh, yeah, so those little you you do see, I think things that that are in people. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's a funny thing. Yeah. Um, talk to me then about the experience at Rada because mm. it is so iconic globally mm. in terms of actor training. I think sure. you know, broadly speaking, we would think Juilliard, we would think Rada, and yeah. that's kind of it—the yeah. two pillars. Yeah. If pretty you pretty like. much, yeah. What was the experience like being there? I am. Uh, Absolutely loved it. I thought it was like for me, it was it was everything I had ever wanted because it was like I was doing all things I'd never done before. I was wearing tights. Uh, I was kind of uh, putting putting makeup on in those days. We, which is kind of hard to believe. Um, we did we did thirty two shows in three just nearly three years. Really, and when I say shows, I don't mean full time productions. Yeah. but I mean thirty two performances. Yeah, yeah. Which would be, some of that could be, you know, like a two-page monologue, you know. But overall, that was the number of presentations that we did, two people in front of them. And we did a, a horrendous thing called Stand Up and Entertain, which 
ah, to this day, I couldn't bear, I can't, it's shocking. That was probably the most terrifying thing where you had to do a five, it was like a five minute monologue about something, you, anything you wanted. Wow. Uh, but not a, not a speech. Right. So you had to create something yourself, you know. And some of them were absolutely brilliant, and some of them, like the one I did, I think were pretty dreadful. But you know, it was it was a it it, it it's kind of like cutting teeth and building character, and you know, when you fall over a lot, you get up a lot. Yeah. And and I think that's one of the things that was was so good about it. Some of the teaching was fabulous. Some of it lesser. You know, I mean, uh, but then again, someone else might think that guy's perfect. Yeah. You know, so. You know, we did an enormous amount of physical stuff. We did dance work. We did um, mask work. We did uh, being animals, which I use all the time. Still. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually, I use. I still. Did, I did, I picked up more of that. I did. I used to work with a company called Shared Experience, and one of the things we did was used to present to the other actors something that we were doing, which was what was the animal that you're, you're choosing? What you know, Al Pacino does this. I mean, you know, we're in good company, so. Um, I still think of it. It doesn't. I don't always use it because it's not always appropriate. Mm. But I absolutely um, love that idea of getting physically into into a part. And you know, in some way. is that for you about finding that distinct physical quality, or is it more about just kind of getting out of your own way? I think it's both. Way? I think okay. I think getting out of your own way, as I'm sure you know, is kind of probably the biggest thing we have to do. Yes. You know, uh, I, I, I am here, but I'm not here, yeah. sort of thing. Um, and when it works best, somehow it seems to be that you're just you're just being. You're not. Nothing else is happening. And whatever anything that one can do, do anything you can do to help that seems to be seems to be beneficial to me. Um, yeah. I think the you know the animal thing is is just it's just getting your imagination going. You know, if you were thinking, say, for example, playing Hamlet, and you played him as a a bullish bear that sets off a whole stream of of thought and ideas and, yeah you know physically how the bear would move but if you also played him or her as a you know a nervous as a jackrabbit you know someone who was tentative was very <laughs> didn't quite yeah. you, it would set off a whole string of responses, you know, emotional responses to situations based purely on physicality. Yeah. So I think it, I think it's useful as an imaginative tool. And that's that's kind of, I think, the biggest thing I took out of RADA was you can use your imagination for anything. Did you go and see a lot of work while at RADA? Because, I mean, from the, from the yeah. chat so far, you know, yeah. we were trying out, out a lot of stuff mm. in school, mm. which is quite interesting and exciting. Yeah. But was this the first time to get kind of exposed to a huge amount well, of professional uh, uh, My parents took when, took me to quite a bit, you know, as well. Um, we used to go to Stratford quite a lot okay. because that wasn't too far, you know. Um, um, you know, uh, when I got into RADA, it was, it was, we used to go all the time. We used to go as groups and things and we'd go up. We had friends who would get, you know, jobs after they left and we'd go up and see them. Sure. And we'd spend far too long in the Dirty Duck, which is the pub. And um, and then we'd kind of, you know, just stay over a weekend and we'd see three shows sometimes. Yeah. Because they used to do that then. You could have one in, you know, one one in the um, in, in, in the little theatre and one in the big theatre. You know, it was just, just kind of what happened. Yeah. So you could easily do a weekend and see six shows. Um, you, we used to get, you know, all our friends when we were at drama school were all working as ushers. Right. 
so they will get you tickets for the matinees, you know, is that kind of thing. Yeah. So we used to see, and we were absolutely mad about it and wanted to see it all the time. And we spent all our time going off and doing that. And we didn't really go and see movies and television. And none of us really wanted to be in television or film. Really? Nope. Not at all. Was that an ethos fostered by the it, school? It, it was an ethos fostered partly by the school, but it was also um, what was available at the time. Okay. And I remember uh, there was a, a book that was written by Peter Barkworth, who was a, was a wonderful old um, English actor who, who called About Acting. I think it was in that, where he said there are... Um, what was it? Uh, television is where the money is. F- no, f- Film is where the money is, television is where the fame is, and the stage is where an actor ought to be. Wow. And it was that, it was that, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it was, it was, it really was like that kind of a feeling then. It's not like that now at all, but it certainly was like that then. Um, so, you know, our heroes, certainly my heroes, were they were all theatre stars, you know, Um I remember going to see loads of shows with, uh, I saw Gilgood on stage okay. twice, two or three times. Richards, Ralph Richardson on stage, Paul Schofield on stage. I missed Olivier, I never saw him on stage. But I did go to his 80th birthday party at the National Theatre and I sat right behind him, which was kind of interesting. And that was, a, there was a, um, you know, the, these guys created, carved such a huge legacy for anyone who wanted to be in theatre, because they they all could do film as well. Yeah, they all did do film. Um, Schofield probably the best of them, in my opinion. Yeah, but that's just opinion. Um, you know, um, but they were extraordinary kind of bunch of people kind of out there doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, and McKellen, of course, we used to go see McKellen all the time. His Romeo, absolutely incredible, incredible. And he's did, not Romeo. He's, he's a Scottish man. Yes. Did yeah. it feel? Did it feel like a special time there? Did it feel like kind of a, a golden age to some extent, or did it just open up a possibility? Just, I, didn't, I didn't feel golden at all. Not no. I didn't think it was like that. You mean you mean the time or yeah. that year? Right. Um, no, I didn't think it felt like a, a golden age at all. But it, it, it sort of um, it was just people working all the time. Alan Howard on stage. You know, Patrick Stewart was on stage all the time. Um, you know, all these guys have gone off to do Star Trek yeah. now. You know, um, th- we used to see them all the time. Um, Jonathan Price, you know, these these actors who were around at the time, they were the sort of the second generation yeah. coming through. They were they were hugely influential influential on us, definitely. Yeah. So as your time at Radio yeah. starts to come to a close, yeah. What's the ambition, or what are the first few steps? Well, out the, of f- the first few steps you, for then you had to get what was known as your equity card, which of course. then you had the you had either a provisional equity card or a full equity card, and to, you had to work your way. You, you you had to get a first contract, and then you had to prove that you could you know maintain a career in the business. You had to get forty weeks of of professional tra- of, of uh, paid work before you could then get a proper full-time equity card. Wow, 40 weeks seems like a lot. It is. It is a lot. Um, it took some people, you know, years mm. to, to get that. You know, several years, because you might get two years here and three years. Here. And that really affected the way you went through the business. Um, part of me loves it because there was a, there was a kind of... Um, it, there was a real badge when you thought, I've actually done that. Yeah. It, it really did make you feel... Um, good you know and confident yeah 
because you think, yeah, that's a professional validation that everyone knows. Uh, and that, that made a lot of that made a lot of difference. And then, of course, the job is try and get the first job. That's the first thing. Now, I was really lucky. I got a job when I was still still at RADA. Really? And uh, three of us did. Juliet Stevenson, me and a friend of mine, Mandy, Mandy Parfit. And the three of us all went to a company called Theatre Centre, which was a kind of actors touring company that toured right. with um, uh, schools, you know. And um, we used to do four shows a day, five days a week. Oh, for, yes. Oh, yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we've all been there. Yes, indeed. I, oh, Jesus. Yeah. And it, it, it's exhausting and thrilling at the same time. But, uh, again, it's character building. It gets you up there, gets you ready for whatever you whatever you want to do next, you know. Kind of uh, intriguing, really. And then I started to you know, audition for reps. Uh, I got an agent. And I, I remember my first TV, I did a thing called what was it strangers was the first thing i think i played a young cop yeah i did i remember at first you know young cop and it was literally i you know i, I think it's over there sir and that was pretty much it you know I, I, that's quite a performance I well I've, I've, I've used it ever since and uh some would say never stopped uh, and and you know it has been a bit like that kind of thing um but uh you know and then gradually you know you do a few more bits of telly and things and gradually that shifts and, and you start doing a bit more telly and you know then you then what we used to do of course was the rep theatres you know which we had you could do I did two years up at York Theatre Royal you know you get a whole contract for a year I did a year with the, with the, the National uh, RSC I did um, um, what else was that uh, Birmingham rep I was there for a long time Exeter I was there for about three years I think in Exeter and as you look yeah. back on those rep days, yeah. it, it feels like it doesn't exist to the same extent anymore. Yeah, no, it doesn't. How, doesn't how beneficial is that to, I was going to say to a young performer, but I guess to any performer. Anyone. I think it's fantastically beneficial because it means, you know, you end up doing, you know, this week I'm playing an Australian, next week I'm playing a Londoner, then I'm playing an old man because they've only got eight people in the company and someone's got to do it. And, it, you know, it looks a bit ridiculous as well, but... You know, it, it, it was quite... It, I thought it was great. I loved it. I thought it was just the best thing ever. So know. it's part of my recollection of, of my time training. Again, sure. you know, you got a, a class full of, generally speaking, you know, training actors in yeah. their early 20s. Yeah. So when someone has to play the guy in his 50s, yeah. you know, obviously you're miscast. You see the, <laughs> exactly. on the beard. <laughs> but, yeah. but it's that thing of having to play mm. outside your range and yeah. against type that it's in... Obviously, you're not going to get there, but it's in the reaching that you learn an awful lot of stuff totally, as the artist. Totally, you stretch, and you know. I think if you can, if you can just suggest enough to an audience that you are that, you know, fifty-year-old mm. man when you're when you're only twenty odd, that, that's telling the story enough. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect, um, and as long as they believe it and buy into it. Oh, that's what you want as an actor, isn't it? You know, you want the buy-in. You want people to buy into your mythology, your, you know, your who you, you are, who you say you are. Yeah, the quote I always steal from professional wrestling is, mm. our job is not to convince them that it's real, mm. it's to help them forget that it's not. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's an important absolutely. kind of distinction. Absolutely. The willing suspension of disbelief. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that was Stanislavski, you know, absolutely. So that they're willingly able to suspend their disbelief because because it's not real. Yeah. But it's as near as you can possibly imagine it to be. And if you can convince people of that, you can convince people of anything, I think. For yeah. big institutions like the National or the RSC, yeah. what is it like going into, you know, big monolithic places like that? 
Well, there, I mean, there's always that intimidation moment at first of all. Uh, and then you, then there's that little bit of you that goes, I'm in the same dressing room that Peter O'Toole was in. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing gets you. Um, particularly for me, anyway. Yeah. It certainly did, uh, you know. Um, there is a sort of slight intimidation, but that's also, that all kind of... Like, I often find fears just melt once you recognise them, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's what that is. It's just a little bit of fear. That's okay. Yeah. Also, I think we, we, end up, that. we end up being just too busy with the job at hand. Yes, to very don't much worry so. about it too oh, much. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I, I you know, uh, uh, the National, we, there were three big theatres and, you know, you'd work in the Olivier. I mean, that's something else, mm. you know, going on the stage there. Was it like, I think it's 1100 seater or something like that. I mean, oh God, walking out onto that your first time, that is, that is where are the brown trousers, you know. Yeah. Uh, I did find that scary, very much so. But, you know, after a week, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, that's what it is. So deal with that, you know. Um, uh, the Royal Court was a place that, that I loved working at a lot. And I did like, 10 shows there I think altogether and I, I love working there because that literally had that was the kind of the place where you know theatrical history changed mm. you know it's the where where Look Back in Anger was first performed I mean I, interestingly that's on in Dublin at the moment but um, you know that was a play that changed everything in in, in theatre in, in the UK um, and so the ghost of you know and Olivier came to play there, which would be a bit like, you know, um, I guess it would be this equivalent to, you know, Liam Neeson coming and working in the, you know, upstairs at Lanigan's. But, you know, it was... Uh, <laughs> Stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. But, you know, it was, it was extraordinary because that, 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 that just never happened. And that's why it was great. And it's why he was great, because he kept doing those things that were different and outside of what, um, everyone was expecting of him, you know. Can you put your finger on what the magic was about that place at that time? At or the in court? General? Yeah. Um, I think it was the writing and the fact, the, the reverence for the writers. Uh, you know, when I was there, uh, I did, I mean, the most not known one we did was um, uh, the uh, Our Country's Good by mm. Timberlake, Burton Baker and... Um, uh, Thomas Keneally, another Irish connection. Um, he he had a novel called The Playmaker, and she did a version of that. That was hugely, massively successful. It's gone on, and there's been forty or fifty productions of it all over the world. I mean, just just extraordinary. Um, and you know, I was fortunate enough to be in the original production of that. And right. that, that was kind of very exciting. Um, and I think it was the way that Max Stafford Clark particularly worked with writers, because uh, that, that he was there. Other, and there were other directors there as well, and other playwrights. But the playwrights were always given the sort of they were always the centre of it. Um, Carol Churchill, uh, Stephen Lowe, uh, Sarah Daniels. I mean, this huge list, a never-ending list, really, of incredible kind of writers that they found. April DeAngelis. Lots of people, they, they, they would spend so much time working, workshopping something, testing it, getting it out there, getting responses, uh, dramaturging it, you know, really putting it through the ringer yeah. before it would go anywhere near an audience. And that, that was, uh, I think, one of the biggest things. Just the ultimate respect for the writer was the... Do you enjoy working on new work versus kind of stuff from the canon? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it depends. I mean, yeah. like, um, yeah, I do. Um, uh, I, I kind of, uh, yeah, I love it. I mean, I like working on new plays. It, it's, um, you know, I tend not to get asked to do many new plays in, in Ireland for obvious reasons. But, um, no, I suppose The Tribes was, well, that wasn't a, was an original, it was a world premiere here, but it wasn't an original piece of work from, from an sure. Irish writer. But, uh, yeah, no, but I like doing, I like, I like acting. I just enjoy it. I mean, I really do. And if the script, it's got, it starts with the script with me, though, all the time. You know, what's in the script? What's it about? What does it mean? What's the connection to the other people? Who's going to be in it? Who's directing? All of those questions are, are very very important that the good writing just hits you right between the eyes yeah. and you can't put it down you you can't you know talk to me then a bit about work for camera because yeah. Yeah. alongside what has been an incredibly successful theater career there's an equally successful uh, screen career yeah yeah are there different challenges are there different approaches does it feel different is it differently enjoyable yeah Talk very much your so. experience it's it. totally different i mean i i think it, i think most actors when i speak to them have the same experience as i do is that whenever you're doing a long-running tv series the one thing you want to do is play and whenever you're doing a play the one thing you want to do is tv and it's because they're different mm. and one of the things that keeps us all alive i think is the variety is is the literally you know you can do a commercial for Aldi on Monday. You can do... Sorry, that's not a plug, not an endorsement. Uh, but, you know... Other supermarkets uh, are available. Yeah, other supermarkets are available. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, you know, you can, you can do absolutely anything. But it's the variety that keeps us alive, I think. Um, to, is, is it different? Yeah, totally. I mean, to me, the the... It's the same, but it's different. It's like absolutely that you know the the, the focus that's required for um, uh, film is you know you've got to get it within that ten seconds when between turnover and and and, and cut. You, that's when you've got to do it. So that's the moment you, that that you've got to do it. And theatre is about maintain, as you know, it's about maintaining. It's a different energy. It's yeah. keeping it moving. One thing I totally think is true is that you've got to keep doing the theatre if you ever want to do it. Really? It's, <laughs> I really do. You've got to I've keep done, those muscles I've done, Several times I've done, like, say, like, um, uh, I, was, I used to do a show called Medics, which was a, a TV series in the UK, and I did that for, like, three years. I didn't do any theatre at all. And I came back and did a play at Hampstead, and I couldn't believe why they wanted to, you know, in rehearsal, I thought, why, is it, why, why are we going over it again? <laughs> What's the, what, what are you going to do it for? We've just done it, haven't we? I've got it now. Because you train yourself to shoot really quickly, to shoot really, really well, to shoot fast. Yeah. You know, you learn fast. You you know, everything is done really quickly. And then some, someone's saying, well, we need you to sustain it for like... Another 10 weeks. Another 10 weeks. <laughs> and the whole thing is four, two hours long, apparently. So what are you talking about? Who would come and see that? You know, uh, and so I, I, and I, oh God, the terror of that going back after that really um prepared me uh and sort of taught me a lesson right if you want to do theater you've got to keep doing it you know at least at least once a year if yeah. you can or once every two years maybe max yeah. yeah minimum really you know um does your your approach to the work or your approach to the process is it very different for camera stuff? I mean, again, are we checking back in with animal physicalities in places? Yeah, yeah, I, I use everything. Yeah, I, anything, I anything that helps. You know, um, 
say, for example, the Tudors, which is one of the ones that, that people might know, um, I, I definitely based his whole character on a falcon. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was something about that thing. Part, as it turned out, well, Boleyn's, uh, he had a cre- family crest, and on the crest was a falcon. Excellent. And oddly enough, in the first or two episodes, there was a scene where he had a falcon coming to him. And that's an extraordinary experience, having a live bird coming at you. Unreal. Totally recommend that. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I, I definitely did that. Because there was something about the hooded look and the way that you could, they, they have this sort of hood and the way that they can look and check and keeping an eye on things all the time. You know, uh, there was something very mercurial about that and something very, very untrustworthy about it as well. And yet you knew that they were really bright and very intelligent and thinking all the time. Yeah. And it was kind of right, seemed to be the right animal for him. Now, I'm not saying I thought every split second. Of course. But it's just a kind of, it's just in the background. It's running in the back of your mind, that kind of thing. What would you, what would you do now? Yeah, I want to keep over here. Stay back a bit. Let's watch that. And now pounce. Yeah. There was something about that that I, I thought was very useful. But... um the difference is, I think, in terms of looking at the script, I, I would always, with television, if I can, I take the whole script, if you get the whole script, yeah. and I break it down into chunks, and I break it down into acts and, and sequences, really, so I know what the whole thing is about. Yeah. And when, in terms of, like, marking a script, I always mark a TV script, like, what you know, let's say I've got scenes in Act 1, scenes in Act 2, scenes in Act 3, I always write down my befores and afters. Yes. You know, where because you might be shooting out a sequence. Of course. And I have literally done days where, you know, you've, you've done your death first and then your wedding. <laughs> and it's peculiar. Yeah. Uh, and it is really odd. Um, you know, so that, that kind of thing. You want to be very clear on that is where you are in the journey, mm. uh, at what point you're in the journey. Um, and the other thing I always find useful is that you're always thinking about... Um, the characters that you're playing with and you're always thinking about yourself but the the people you have small relationships with are equally important because if you can show the way you know you might be say like with Thomas Boleyn for example just because we're talking about him you know he might be very very charming with the king because he needs his attention and his approval and you know he, he might be quite loving to his daughters even though he's shoving them into various peculiar relationships but he might be brutal to the, um, you know, the cook. Yeah. And that is what shows you the character. It's the change on in, in film and in television, particularly what shows you the difference. It shows you where somebody really is thinking. Um, so I think that's, that's really worth doing. But um, definitely, you know, break it down. My, the, one of the things I put on my site is this thing about, you know, you break the house. You, put, you, you call the, um, the screenplay like a house, you know, three acts. It's like, you know, one is the front room, the middle room and the back room. And within each of those acts, there is a kind of, there's a piece of furniture. And that's the scene. So let's say you've got this scene, which is a chair, Okay. When you've got this scene, you're only playing the chair. Yes. Nothing else. Yes. Nothing else. Don't play the end of the, the film. Don't play the beginning of the film. Don't play anything else. Just play the chair. And then when you break the chair down into pieces, there's a little nail that, you know, you need to, 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 to tap in to actually, you know, create the chair. Because it's just pieces of wood. And those nails 
are your actions, mm. what it is that you play, your activity that you're doing to the other person. And each one of them can be very, very different. And that's where you get incredibly specific and you can make huge differences and show a much greater range if you think of every line as a different action, as a different nail to build the chair, to put into the room, to put into the, yeah. into, into the thing. It, it's kind of like helps, I think. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. Yeah, I think it's right as well. That, yeah, that, because you got get you know talking about getting yeah. out of your own way. Yeah, there is that thing of trying to play the entire character in every single second. You kill yourself. Well, imagine doing it yourself. Imagine yeah. imagine your own life being like that. Being in love How, and grieving and, and exactly, it's impossible. And, you can't do it. And your death. Yeah. And your birth. <laughs> and you got ten minutes. Yeah, impossible. So you you, you can't. So. Um, but there is a tendency for us to, to judge characters as well. That's the other thing, I think. And I think that's where that stems from, that thing of, you know, and an insecurity and, and in terms of lack of trust about telling the story the way the story is written. You know, um, each... Because if you think about it, that's how movies move. Mm. And someone... Was it... Uh, who was it? Um, David Lean said... Someone asked him, said, how do, you, how do you make a movie? And he said, inch by fucking inch. <laughs> you know, and that's actually, that's, that's, that's true. Yeah. And that's also true with characters, that you make them by each tiny step. That's what, you know, they may add up into a bigger, you know, a wilder stream mm. of something, but it's those little, you know, the moment you see Sean Penn look like that at that person, that tells you. Yeah. the story and then just trust that each of those moments will collage kind of, together for a full picture oh, by the end audiences are intelligent yeah. they're absolutely hugely intelligent they, I mean, we're, particularly in television and film now we are so geared up for watching film and television you know we watch at 100 miles an hour now we download we stream stuff you know we binge watch you know nine episodes of I was watching what was it Mosaic last night I was watching like four four episodes of Mosaic Right. I don't know if you come across that one yet. It's this new HBO one with um, uh, Sharon Stone in it, who is fantastic in it. Wow. She's only in the first episode, though. But um, and uh, it's Steven Soderbergh. It's it's extraordinary. First episode is extraordinary. Gets a little bit weird after that, but you know. But this whole idea, you know, we're processing yeah. like that. You're diving into an entire character, so that you've got to bear that in mind. When you're, you know, when you when you're acting that, because that's the people, the way that people consume, certainly has an effect on on the way you need to act. You know, I think you need to keep the pace up. Mm. You need to keep the pace up, um, unless you're having reflective moments. You know. Yeah. You know. When you are on stage or on set, mm. what do you hope for or look for in a scene partner? What when do you know that things are sparking right? When do you know when it's sparking up with with a person on stage? When 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 you're, I'm com- generally speaking, when I'm completely unaware of the audience. Really? Yeah, probably. You kind of when you've lost. There, there's a point where you, actually you're never completely unaware of the audience. You're always got to have an eye on the audience. Of course you do. But generally speaking, when it's like there's there's a flow between yeah. you, and you know that you're kind of sharing and exchanging, um, and and that's it's an energy interchange. I think. Um, and it's it, it's it's very visible, as well. I think when you see it on say when you see people who are not quite you know <laughs> yes not really talking to each other yeah. and not really kind of connecting, um, it's very very obvious. So it's really something worth learning or yeah. working on, definitely, definitely. 
but generally I like it when you know I I one of my trainings was with shared experience and one of the things we used to do then was we used to do um we'd play a, a whole production and then we would there wouldn't be no blocking at all in 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 the show really yep and um, what we'd do is we'd work out what the intentions were within each scene and we'd agree that the scene was you know Nick comes on and uh uh, encourages Angus to, you know, uh, invest in his building society. Let's say it's that. And so the scene would be that. And that's what we knew. I would know and you would know that that's what the scene was about and that's what we'd be playing towards. And then how I did that would be up to me and how you responded to that would be up to you. And night by night open to oh, yeah. various... Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and now, the, the, in fairness, sometimes people would say, OK, we'd stay in the same place sure. because it tended to be the best place for yeah. the actor. Yeah. yeah. So there was a kind of it did start to block itself a bit after a while. But what was great was when someone would come on and just go, let's just do this really differently. Yeah. Uh, Mark Rylance was in the company at the time. Mark used to have this thing. You should just come on and, you know, suddenly he'd disappear on stage. This was at the National. <laughs> And he'd, he'd, he'd gone and he's, well, you think, where is he? And he's gone into, he's not on the stage. <laughs> so you had to go and find him because you knew he'd be there. Yeah. Because he wasn't, you know. Yeah. And he'd be in this big wicker basket and then he'd jump out and scare you, you know. <laughs> and, but it was fantastic because you never knew what was coming next. Mm. But it may, but, but you still had enough faith and trust that the other person would be there. Yeah. And that, that, you know, they wouldn't, you know, you have to be in the, on the theatre in, 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 on the stage. You can't leave. leave yes, the there, are, there are ground rules within there which There are ground play. rules which, within it, you know, <laughs> definitely. But it was so exciting when that, when that worked. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I'd love to chat to you a bit about techniques, and in particular your work around NLP yeah, and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Can you explain some of that to people who might have no yeah. idea what it is well, at all? Basically, what happened to me, I mean, the, the, essentially the story was this, is that I got to a point where I, I, got, I, I lost a lot of confidence in myself as a person. I think we all go through those you know, phases and things. Uh, in fact, I know we do because, because I work with a lot of actors and they, and they all do. Um, and I got to a point where I thought there was nothing, you know, it was, I was beginning to doubt everything I was doing. I felt very insecure, very um, nervous about going on stage. I felt very panicky. I had a bit of a kind of a sort of mini, wasn't it a breakdown, but I had a freak out once up in, in York, in the, York uh, the Theatre Royal up there, before going to do um, the press night of Algernon in The Importance of Being Earnest. And I just got absolutely, oh, God, I cannot go on there tonight. And I literally had that thing that I think a lot of people do, which is, um, you know, if I could just get on the bus now, <laughs> I could just go. And nobody would notice. Nobody would notice a damn thing. I could just disappear. And I went home to my flat between, between uh, bedsit rather, between... Um, between the, the, the final dress or whatever it was, final tech of some kind anyway, and the, and the first opening night. And uh, I went back there and uh, I just sort of closed the curtains and just sat in the dark. And I thought, oh, I'm not going on tonight. Just not doing it. Wow. Just not going. A really, really quite severely kind of like no way. Um, and then sometime later, somebody noticed that I wasn't in the theatre. <laughs> what 
fairly reasonable. And uh, this friend of mine, Annie Castledine, uh, who was a director, and she's now passed away, but um, she came round, she knocked on the door, and she was just very concerned where I was. And she started chatting to me. It made me feel a bit better. And... <gasps> You know, kind of, come on, you got to do this, yeah. you know. And uh, so I went back on that night, but I, I made a vow that night that I was never, ever going to let that happen to me again. And I knew it was all psychological. Of course. Uh, but I didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. So I went through all of that, and it was just terrifying, to be honest. But then I started to realise that what I could do was I could learn about what that was. So I started to look into all kinds of things. I, I did yoga, meditation, all these things, and... Tai Chi and um, I I did a bit of counselling just to try and figure out where I was going, what was happening. And sometime later, um, I I found a book in a a shop called, uh, what was it called? It was called um, Frogs into Princes, I think it was called. Um, Is that right? I'm never quite sure of the title. Anyway, it was about it was about NLP, which it stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming, which is the world's worst title. <laughs> and uh, it's just like, who want to do that? You know, can't even say it. And um, but what it was about was about handling your own mental and physical states, yeah. and about having a bit more control and power over who you are, and you know, giving you the confidence to be. You, you know learning really that your mind has a huge part to play in your in everything that you do because the way your brain is working is what's communicating to people yeah and I started to look into that I learned a lot about it uh, I trained in it I did a bit of course because I thought it was just fascinating oh I know what I was thinking about the there was this um one of the questions was the first thing that got me going was a thing called the miracle question And the miracle question goes like this. If you could wake up in the morning tomorrow and everything was exactly the way you wanted it to be and it looked exactly right, it sounded exactly right and it felt exactly right, what would it look like, sound like and feel like to be true? And for me at the time, it was all about, I loved, I liked the question. I thought the question was just very good for actors, you know. It kind of makes you think, you know. And then um, and I started thinking, well, for me, it was about, you know, I wanted to do more television. I could see that. I could see myself on screen. I could hear myself telling myself, you know, good things to myself, about myself. I could hear other people being happy with what I was doing. I could feel confident and relaxed about what was going on. Uh, other people would feel the same thing when they were meeting me and it would be good and it would be a win-win situation and everything would be starting to sort of flow like that. And that was what it was that I started to go, yeah, this is kind of cool. And I started to get into it and, I, and um, then I found it um, to be incredibly useful for pretty much everything, actually. Mm. And then I got to a point where I start, you know, I don't, you know, because it's like, you know, it's a, it's a skill set. There are tools you use, but it's certainly not the only thing at all in my life. You know, I'm a great believer in what I call positive psychology, which right. is essentially looking for, you know, solutions for actors, particularly in terms of, you know, situations that they may find difficult, um, that they may find challenging and looking at the ways that you can 
uh, assist people to maybe get through those things, the way you can help people to relax more, to be more confident in themselves, to have more self-belief, and a very big one for actors is self-esteem. Mm. Massively. The way that we actually, because we all, you know, did you get the job? No. How do you feel? Great. <laughs> yeah, I feel great. I feel really good. I'm going to the pub now. See you later. Bye. Come back in four hours later and you drown your sorrows and, you know, you've got a hangover. And um, do you know what? It hasn't changed anything. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's how you handle that, um, what's going on underneath and recognising that there's enough work out there for everyone. It's true. That's another one, that it's true. Um recognizing it is possible to get out of your own way mm -hmm. recognizing that feeling comfortable and confident is possible and realizing that there is hope because i think that's a very important thing because it's very easy for actors to get into a kind of like you know oh, i'm never gonna you know things are never gonna happen things are never gonna change you know and um i think that's very very damaging mm. to to, to, to anyone actually I'm a big advocate for you know mental health for actors I think it's something we don't spend enough time talking about because it's you know we put ourselves out there you know other people go into the factory and they you know they, they, they turn out the widgets and yes. that's what they do we our, our emotions and our life and our feelings and our relationships uh, with our friends and our family and everything we do that's our widgets that's what we put out there and um that's why it's hugely important because of, you know, the Me Too movement and everything. All of us, you know, actors feeling confident and comfortable enough to be able to express themselves solidly and clearly so that they can be heard, so that they can be taken care of when need be and not to feel ashamed or worried or upset about that because it's totally normal. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of... That I'm a big advocate for, you know, getting as many actors working as possible, uh, getting them to get as much money as they possibly can, to get as much kind of um, uh, confidence and joy and power and, you know, to feel good about themselves because I think that's the most important thing, especially when you're not working. Yeah. You know? It's funny because it sounds like it's particularly compatible with the kind of sensibilities and how we make the work we make it feels yeah, yeah. it sounds like it's just a very good fit yeah it is a good fit i think it works because it's about imagination yeah. you see um one of the buzzwords is you know there there is no such um you know, there, there's no such thing as a problem problems don't exist problems are just caused by your imagination but then so are solutions okay so if you accept that there are problems and you can begin to see the problems that are going on in your life and you may see them in a particular way for example, I mean, one of the biggest things, I don't know if this is useful, but often when actors get overwhelmed, or when people get overwhelmed, I should say, when people do, we get overwhelmed by, you know, uh, the depression or the sense of, you know, uh, helplessness or, you know, she's always getting the job and I'm not, uh, or she's nowhere near as good as me. Why the fuck is he getting that bloody one? You know, all of those things, they tend to be built up in our minds in particular ways and the brain just goes oh okay that's what it is it's like that and so it will create that and one of the greatest things you can do is to just notice that you're seeing something as a big problem mm. and shrinking it down literally 
inside your mind will literally make it collapse in it and on itself so that it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And literally, that's what's happening inside your mind as I'm talking to you now. Yeah. That's what's actually going on. You can probably feel it in some way. I don't know if you felt anything then. Did you feel anything? I did a little bit, I have to say, yeah. Yeah, you feel something happening because you feel it going on inside your mind. And so problems, whatever that may be, and if there's anyone listening out there who's got a big problem that they know, you know, it might be a financial one or their agent or whatever the thing is, when you imagine it and perceive it as being a very big problem, you can just shrink it down into a small problem and make it smaller and smaller and smaller, even smaller still. And put the problem now, for example, behind you, off into the distance. And notice how you feel now. And recognize that you probably feel a little bit of a shift. And if you want to do something about your issue now, you can. That's quite fascinating. Do you know what I mean? It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. It's really intriguing. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about <laughs> success. Yeah. And what for you feels like success mm. or what success looks like. Because... I think for most people from outside of you, they'll see awards for stage work, awards for film work, regularly, consistently working, big, high-profile gigs across stage and screen. I think for most of us outside, objectively, we'd go, that looks like success. Does that feel like success for you, well, or how do you value success for Success you? to me is never on the outside. Okay. It's always on the inside. And I think that's that's, you know, the most important thing. Of course, it's great to get an award. It's wonderful, and it, and, it, and it's lovely, and it's really nice to get. Definitely, you know. Um, but it's also fleeting because you know you've got this statue and it's sitting there, and and you kind of go, okay. Um, and and it's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I'm really. I'm. I think it's a wonderful thing to have, and I think it's great that we all acknowledge each other and all that. And those things are good. But real success, I think, is it happens on the inside. Uh, as does everything. Mm. Confidence happens on the inside. You know, love happens on the inside. Self-love happens on the inside. Power happens on the inside. Joy happens on the inside. And you generate more and more of that yourself. And that's what you do. If you want success, you want to feel successful. Mm. And when you feel successful on the inside, you can feel successful on the outside. It's really simple. It really is simple. For me, anyway, yeah, that's that's what I think. I, you know, uh, great to get awards, love them, fabulous, thank you, very happy to have more if they're coming, yes. no problem at all. Uh, you know, financial success, yeah, okay, sure, you can. Get, you know, my life has gone up and down like a yo-yo. You know, when you're doing big American series, absolutely, you get more money. When you're doing a play at the at the gate, <laughs> you know, you as we all know, right? I mean, that's the kind of thing, you know, that happens. And things vary. Mm. And we go what I call, it's a yo-yo experience. So there's no, you know, you can't, if, if you get this amazing series one year, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to get one every single year for the rest of your life. 
And it doesn't work like that in my experience. And certainly what I notice and view with other people, it doesn't work like that. So, but what can be consistent and what can stay with you all the time is how you feel on the inside. Mm. And that is what you want to do more of. Because my, my biggest rule for success for me and the one I try and coach other people with is do more of what works and less of what doesn't. And that sounds like really, really, really simple thing. But I can assure you, uh, because I've coached an awful lot of people now, that's a very hard thing to get across to people. Because, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, it it depends what you want. It depends what you want. But if if what you do, you know, if going to yoga and bringing the meditation and feeling good about yourself, which is what works for me, I do a lot of that stuff. That's, That's my thing. I go to the gym and I work out and I eat well as best I can. All of those things, you know, raise your energy level. They make you feel better about yourself. And then when, you know, something comes up, you're ready for it. And you feel good and you feel, yeah, I deserve this. It's coming my way. Yeah, of course. That's great. And so, so that makes you kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am worth actually having all this stuff coming my way because I am. Yeah. And when you feel that at the identity level, then you kind of feel very comfortable with it coming in. And it's not an issue because it's never then about, you know, I've got an award and he hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> famous, a famous story. My, my agent once told me that she had a, um, it's my UK agent. She told me she had a client of hers who had a, um, uh, and this is actually true. This is bizarre. But this this guy was uh, a client of hers who would be a well-known actor that you would know had won an Oscar. Right. And he was in a, a, a caravan in the Mojave Desert and he was miserable. And she was saying, what's the matter? He said, well, it's just, you know, I, I went to drama school with this guy and, well, he's got two Oscars. <laughs> And, and and you kind of go, there's a problem there. Yeah. There really <laughs> is a problem there. Not only did this guy have an Oscar, not only was he in, in, in the in Mojave Desert working on another movie, sure. you know, making a good wadge of cash, and the weather was good and it's Mexican. What, you know, what do you want? You know, mm. um, I, 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 I kind of do worry about that for, for, for actors. Because it... If he's still thinking like that after an Oscar, he's going to keep that going for the rest of his life. Yeah, he just is. And I, I, I will share one thing. I had, a, I, I met, I was lucky enough to meet Lauren Bacall once. I was in America, and we did a, we did a, a thing. we actually went from the gate. We did um, the homecoming. Yeah, and we did it on Broadway. Took it out there, and after the show, I went round and I saw Lauren Bacall, and I just had to do the gush, you know. Oh, Miss Bacall, I must have said, you know, and I, and I kind of did, but I wasn't too bad. But I did, I did actually say, you know, I, you're extraordinary and uh, I, I really love what you've done. Uh, and what, how, how does it feel to be, you know, you know, at the top of your career and, you know, it must be just amazing. And she said, honey, there is no such thing as the top. And then I kind of thought, what's she talking about? And then I realized that that's what she meant. That, you know, you win the Oscar, you still got to live, you're still getting up, you've still got to do your next gig, you still have to, you know, account to yourself and the people you're working with, you still got to be, you know, what kind of a person you want to be, you still got to put that energy out there, you still got to be doing who you are, even if you got all that stuff. And I thought that was really profound, actually. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. As you look ahead, yeah. are there ambitions still? Are there bucket list items? Uh, or is it just to keep working on good work? Yeah, I think it's pretty much that, actually. I mean, you know, it's like, you know that can change in a heartbeat, as you know. You know, um, you know I, I try and never box myself in too much by things, either one way or the other. You know, just, just tend to, you know, keep open to things, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd like to do more. Uh, I'd love to do another, uh, you know, big TV series. I'd love to do that. It'd be great. I love doing those. Uh, mind you, I am doing. We're doing Striking Out, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. um, so, But you know what I mean? I'd like to do another, like a big American one. I'd like to do more of that. i sure I'd like to do movies more. You know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, playing the West End again. Yeah, absolutely. You know, definitely things like that. But there are always things that kind of keep coming up. But I don't never know quite what they are till they turn up. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's just about being in the right place and the right time sometimes, but also about being open for uh, things as well. And, and sometimes, it's, sometimes it's not what you think. You know, you think, yes, it's a great big job over there, which is going to be amazing. And that may not be the thing that changes your life. Mm. Here's an example. We did, um, at the Abbey, we did uh, Henry the Fourth with uh, the late, great Tom Murphy um, playing my son. And um, I was Henry the Fourth, and we did it, and it was a wonderful production. Marco wrote, uh, wrote uh, a version of it, and Jimmy Fay directed it. Fantastic show, really, really good, and nobody came to see it. Actually, nobody. And I think we had 14 people in the Peacock. Yikes. Oh, yeah, yeah, one night and 12 the next, and then a really, really um, totally undeserved in terms of relations to, to the audience. But one night, one of the guys, one of those 14 people came in was Jim Sheridan. And he saw me in this, in, in that. And as a direct result, I got a phone call saying, would you like to come and do a week on in America? Which then went on to win an Oscar screenplay for best screenplay. And that came out of nothing. Came out of nowhere. Also, Alexander, the big movie I was, we did with Colin Farrell, Oliver Stone was looking around in um, in Dublin at the time, casting for that. And oddly enough, he said, anyone who wants to come in for this, I need you to be able to uh, do a speech. I happen to have that speech in my back pocket, as it were, because I just, you know, yeah. I'd done it. I didn't have to learn it. I didn't have to, you know, I really knew it. And that, so there was me, and we were all talking, all the actors were going, oh, is nobody coming to see the show? It's miserable. Oh, God, I hate this play. Why is it? We liked the show. Yeah. We hated the fact there was no one was seeing it. And uh, so you never know, is, is, is one of the things. You never know what's going on out there. Because someone somewhere is thinking about something to do with you. Someone is somewhere. You know, and that could be the day, you know, tomorrow. Ding dong. You never know. Fantastic. Yeah. Nick, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate having on. That's been an incredible chat. Thank you oh, so much. Thank you. That was my pleasure too. And, um, you know, if anyone wants to come along, can, is it all right to Absolutely, please do. Um, I've got a lot of free stuff out there for actors if anyone's interested. And it's www.nickdunning.com. There's a free training course, free acting training, a screen acting crash course. There's uh, what I call the 47 Power Affirmations for Actors. And there's another training course I just finished two weeks ago, which is totally free. And that's called 21 Ways to Raise Your Profile as an Actor. Spectacular. Thank I you very much. <laughs>
So there you have it, the great Nick Dunning. So wonderful to catch up with him and have that chat. Really, really illuminating. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Nick is a fabulous guy. And if you are in the market for brushing up on your skills or maybe delving into theatre for the the start for the first time, I can't recommend Nick's classes uh, and coaching sessions highly enough. All the details for him are over there on nickdunning.com. And, you know, that famous thing of those who can do and those who can't teach. Well, I think it's pretty clear to see that Nick absolutely can. Uh, you think of what he's achieved in major movies and TV stuff and big stage productions all around the world and here he is sharing that incredible knowledge with you at nickdunning.com go and check it out he won't steer you wrong and so that brings us to our weekly roundup of theatrical goings on around the country and as we said at the start of the show people really need your support at this stage having cancelled a number of shows uh, due to the snow this week Places will be hurting, companies will be hurting, artists will be hurting. If you can, please get out and support as many shows as you can, as many theatres as you can. We need to put money back into the system and keep it all ticking over. So as we look around the country, at the Abbey Theatre, they have Porcelain and the Unmanageable Sisters. At the Gate Theatre, they have Look Back in Anger. And don't forget, at the weekends, they'll also have Late at the Gate with the brilliant Emma Kirwan. At the Gaiety Theatre, we have John B. Keane's Sive, and that'll be followed by Hedda Gabler. At the Board Gosh Energy Theatre, they have Cirque Berserk and then Legally Blonde. The Pavilion has Someone Who Will Watch Over Me from the brilliant Frank McGuinness. At the New Theatre in Temple Bar, they have Desire by Peter Reed. Uh, and then at Smock Alley, unfortunately, all the seen and heard stuff has been cancelled from them. But coming up, they have Bump from Bump and from Bump and Grind Theatre Company, I should say. Uh, at the Civic in Talent, they have the Arabian Nights and also that touring production of Someone Who Watch Over Me. The Viking in Clontarf, who managed to stay open during all the snow, fair play to them. They have Holy Mary, starring Mary Murray and Mae Fitzgerald, and that is directed by the brilliant Aoife Spillane. Hinks, well worth checking that out if you get a chance. At the Dolman Theatre over in Cornell's Court, Goodnight Delia by John Murphy is there. Then we go to Bewley's Cafe Theatre for a little bit of lunchtime and they have Peep starring Emily Fox and Alex Conlon, directed by longtime Rise collaborator Gavin Costick. That is certainly worth checking out if you get the opportunity. At the Project Arts Centre they have Scorch and Shackleton and that'll then be followed by John's Query. And then we head south to Cork, the Everyman have The Approach, followed by Mary and Me, and as we head west to Galway, the Town Hall has Waiting for Gatto and Lives in Translation, and that'll be followed by the Royal Moscow Ballet with their production of Sleeping Beauty. Uh, down in Limerick, uh, they in the Lime Tree, they also have Druid's production of Gatto, and up north in the Lyric in Belfast, they have I'll Tell Me Ma, uh, Lives in Translation, and also Horses. So that is us. That's episode 17 in the books. We managed to keep it going even through the snow. And we will, of course, be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. But in the meantime, this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. <laughs>